everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Just before I begin this morning, I want to take a moment and, and introduce uh, a couple new faces who are very important. We don't, we don't just pull you out of the congregation, out of the audience. Uh, if you're new, please understand that, so come back, all right? But the, these, the, this couple is a strategic addition to our community of faith here. So Jonathan and Katie, come on up here. And... Um, uh, Jonathan is joining our team, is going to be directing our children's ministry, and, and uh, we're so excited about that. Why don't you come? I'm just thinking, uh, stay right there, Jonathan. You're tall enough. Katie, you come to the middle. Katie, you come up a level, all right? <laughs> all right, so this is Jonathan, and this is Katie, and we're excited. They just moved here the end of, this, uh, the end of December, and uh, Jonathan, in your bulletin, you can kind of see a, a great little bio of Jonathan, but we didn't give Katie's bio, so you're going to have to hang out with her take her to coffee, uh, reach out to her to find out what her story is. But uh, we just want to welcome this couple. And uh, we, we really believe the Lord is, has led them here for this season. And uh, our job is to welcome them. We're a family here. Every church has a culture, doesn't it? We, no, no matter where you're at, I spent a decade in Dallas and I grew up in Minneapolis. That's a real strange culture up there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, a lot of Scandinavians, right? And, uh, and you maybe come from different parts of the, uh, the country and every place has its own groove, you know? Churches have the same thing and we have a culture and we hope it's a welcoming culture and w we need to practice that. If it's not, we need to be more welcoming for those who come to join us and especially this couple as they'll be serving alongside us. Okay, so don't be shocked. In fact, at the close of service, Jonathan's going to be downstairs for those who have children in our Ridgeway Kids. He'll be shaking your hand and, and looking you in the eye. You'll be looking him in the eye. You'll be looking up at him and, uh, and welcoming. Uh, Katie might be down there as well. Is that right? Yes, I'll be uh, looking up there. All right. You'll be looking up to everybody. <laughs> hey, can we just pray for them, though? Uh, we are really thankful. Jonathan, thanks for coming. And Katie, they're newlyweds. I'm not giving anything away, but we're talking a couple weeks now, all right? All right. So... When we have our newlywed game, they will be the stars, I'm sure, right? And that, remember, that, that goes way back. Some of us know what that's about. Thank you, Jesus, for this couple. Thank you for, uh, thank you for the journey that you have Jonathan and Katie on. And, Lord, we just pray right now. We weren't at their wedding. We saw some pictures on social media. But, Lord, thank you for this covenant and this union and bringing two together. If, if one can set a thousand to flight, your scriptures say that two can set 10,000. Lord, we believe that as a team, they'll be able to do wonderful things for you. And, Lord, we pray your blessing upon their, their, their covenant, their new marriage. And, Lord, we also pray uh, just their blessing uh, or your blessing upon their... their um, their footsteps into our stream and our community and our uh, community of faith here. Lord, I pray that they would just fit right in, Lord, like a, a pair of, um, of well-worn gloves, Lord, that, uh, that they would be embraced and also that they would have a spirit of embrace. Lord, we uh, ask your blessing upon every effort and every, uh, uh, every ounce of service that, that Jonathan does in the capacity he's in and as Katie just fits in and serves wherever you have her serving, Lord. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. We're, we are delighted to be a part of your family, Lord. And, uh, and we, we welcome them into our family today of believers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Welcome, guys. All right. It's really important we bring them up here to see, because most Sundays, Jonathan will be downstairs. And unless you have children there, you're checking your children in, um, you won't see him. But he'll be around on Wednesday nights. And 
we, we told John, he was asking, does my wife have to work with me? No, but she can if she wants to. This is, we're not one of those churches that just because you're in a position of leadership, your wife has to follow you around or help lead you. But we, uh, we sure, we sure uh, she is welcome to connect, but we'll just see what, how the Lord uh, uses her giftings because we're all shaped uniquely in God's eyes, right? Because he's the shaper, he's the potter, we're the clay. And so, uh, welcome. Uh, to you guys as well, and I promise I won't have you come up and uh, stand here. We won't make um, we won't make a deal about you this morning. That'll be next week. Okay, so uh, I want to talk for the next couple of weeks about uh, about something uh, that is really important and something we don't talk about a lot. And in fact, I've 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 um, titled this three-week series or so, Money Matters, because money does matter, especially in January after we've been out. Um, uh, buying and, and, and blessing uh, those that we love. Oftentimes, if we've not been careful, we get a, a January or February uh, visa bill or credit card bill that can be overwhelming. But money not only matters in January, it matters uh, all life long. And so I think there's a, a program, if I remember right, you know, money matters, talking about the things of money and what money is. But this is, uh, this, this is going to be focusing on the importance of money in our lives. And um, if we could, if we could uh, ask money to talk, um, what would it say? In fact, I want to propose to you that money is talking. In fact, Benjamin's talking this morning, and I have a picture of Benjamin. He looks really tight-lipped, though, doesn't he? Benjamin wants to say something to us this morning, um, and I'm, I think we can get something out of him. I n didn't realize that those $100 bills has such a tight-lipped Benjamin, but he's going to speak to us, and uh, in just a moment, I'm going to share some things that I believe money wants to say to us today, and uh, most importantly, Jesus has something to say about money, but what's strange is Jesus never asked for money. Can you believe it? Because, you know, when you turn on some of these TVs, radio, you hear all these people that, you know, you need money to stay on TV. If you're a televangelist or whatever, some of us have grown up in that culture. Uh, oftentimes in church, we're, we're proposing uh, efforts to a building program or a missions effort or whatever, and we're asking for money. Jesus never asked for money. Isn't that, did you know that? Well, actually he did one time, but it was from a fish where he told one of his disciples to go down and catch the fish, and he did a miracle, and out of the fish they pulled a coin, and he gave that to the temple. And uh, so that's the only time that I, I remember, and I think you probably too could study it, that Jesus asked for money. So relax, Jesus isn't asking for money this morning, but, but then I need to warn you, it's, it's greater than that. Because in all reality, Jesus uh, said more about money than he did about heaven. In fact, there's between 35 and 38 parables, parables, the stories that Jesus would tell to bring these really profound teachings and challenges. And 16 of those, almost half of those, uh, address the issue of finances or money or possessions. Isn't that something? But he never asked for your money or my money, but he realized the value and the importance of it in the life of those he loved, humanity, and uh, all of us, uh, when he walked the planet, and today, of course, as we make application to his teachings and his words. So, uh, Benjamin is talking this morning, and uh, what you can hear him saying is this, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life, all right? I, 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 can, I can bring richness to your walk, but I'm not 
the, the end. I'm not the focus. Um, and and uh, we, we, you've heard it said, you, you can't take it with you. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer or a yacht, have you? No, Pastor Brian. I know it. See, thank you. We haven't seen that. Uh, now, I, I was in Portage one time up visiting my folks, and I saw a hearse pulling a horse trailer. I kid you not. But somebody had bought a hearse, and they were transporting their horses somewhere. I wouldn't want to be the horses if, uh, if I looked in front and saw there's a hearse pulling me. But uh, you just don't see it. And what that's telling us is, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you know the, the only time, in fact, money is mentioned usually at a funeral is when it has to do with benevolence. Uh, they gave this to this foundation. They were a blessing in this. We don't talk about somebody's portfolio when they died. We talk about how we love them, how they loved us, how they touched our lives and encouraged our lives. Unless it's the way money was uh, loved through them, we don't really talk about, about finances at a funeral. Money's also saying this morning, make me an end and you may end up alone. If, if, if I become the goal, you may wake up a really lonely person down the road. You know, if, 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 if I'm your focus, if I'm your end result, if I'm your destiny, money, cash, wealth, you may wake up with just the crickets someday down the road. And this is often the case. Um, uh, the stuff, wealth can be just stuff. And if, if it's our end goal, well, it's, 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 it can be a lonely journey. In fact, what child that you have, they may say this now, but have your, have your teenager, your, your uh, pre-adolescent uh, get down the road about a decade or two and then ask them, uh, you know, what Xbox changed your life? You know, uh, or, or the lack of that, uh, is that what they play nowadays? Xbox, help me guys. Yeah, okay, so we'll just say that. You know, you know, mom, thank you. Without that, dad, without that Xbox, my life would have been empty and void. But someday at your parents' funeral, you'll remember the trips to the park. And we always laugh because Debbie uh, got a job for a couple days a week way back 25, 27 years ago when my daughters were like four, three, and two. Yeah, we had them really close together. And so I would leave a couple afternoons a week and go home and sometimes bring my, my study or material home. We just lived a block away. And then I have to figure out, what am I going to do with these kids? You can only watch Beauty and the Beast so many times, you know. And then you've memorized every song and every line. And so we would go to the mall, and we were on a tight budget. And uh, so we would walk the mall, and I'm just trying to figure out, it's winter, right? You know, you start walking the mall in November in Wisconsin, you, you finish sometime in April, right? Uh, and we're walking, and it's always fun. You're, I'm just, I love these girls. I, I love them. I still love them. And then we would stop, and we would stop uh, and get a cinnamon roll at Cinnabon, was it? And, and uh, not rolls. We would buy one, and the four of us would, would, would eat that cinnamon roll. And, you know, I'll bet you someday when I graduate into the Lord's presence, and if you're at my celebration, my memorial, they won't be talking about if there is any kind of a inheritance. They'll be 
sharing that story right there because we still laugh about how dad tried to figure out how to care for us when we were just little kids, you know, that and playing football with the hind boys in the backyard. We won every time, you see, because they're half the size of me. I'd give the ball to my daughters and I'd just throw the hind boys all over the yard and we'd go from one end of the yard to the other and they'd get so frustrated. They wanted to beat the fire out of my daughters and I didn't let them touch them. You know, it's one of those, you know, I outweighed them by 200 pounds. And I was 25 pounds lighter then, right? So children don't wake up and say, you know, what you gave me is what transformed my life in monetary things, but in time and in love, in the things that matter. So uh, that's what money's saying. Money's also saying this morning, uh, I'm a much better means than an end. I'm a much better means than an end. When our lives become a means to an end, we discover a meaningful life. All right, think about that for a second. Uh, parenting. When I sow what I have, whether it's time or, or treasure, or the gifts that God's given me into parenting, then th that's the end, and I use what means I have, or if I'm serving in my local church and serving Christ in my local church, uh, then the means that I have is maybe my energy, maybe my resources, my finances, my gift, whatever it is. Uh, if, if it's coaching, if it's uh, uh, mentoring, like I said, if it's, uh, if it's just neighboring really well, uh, uh, the means that we sow into the world around us uh, becomes, uh, becomes such a blessing to those that God places into our lives. And so, uh, understand that I'm, I'm, I'm a much better, uh, money is much, much more valuable to us as a means rather than as a goal or a destination. Uh, I put this up there just so you can see this. When we decide to be a means to an end, our money becomes a means rather than an end as well. You see what happens? And it's better to have money following us rather than leading us. It's better to have our resources, our fine, and everything. I'm just, simple teaching, and now we're going to unpack what Jesus says. Because remember, most of the time when he's teaching uh, in his parables, we, we discover the same thing. We'll look at one here in just a moment. But look at this. When it's much better, when the call that God's giving me, his, the vision that he's given me to touch lives, to love those closest in the circle that he, he, he puts around me or puts me into, uh, it's so important that, that I understand that, 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 uh, that, that money becomes a means rather than an end as well, that that money just kind of tags along and it's, it's available to be used and my resources and all my resources, not just the treasure, but my time and my talent as well. So look at this. Jesus had a creative way of communicating. He did it in parables, which are these stories. They, they, they weren't true stories. They were, they were stories that he used, and, and they were brilliant. And they create word pictures for us to remember, and sometimes they're hard to understand. And we're trying to unpack one right now. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verse 1 says, Jesus told his disciples one day, there was a rich man... Who's manager? When you're rich, you have somebody managing your finances, you know. Imagine if he's a, a large rancher and that man is uh, managing the ranch, the farm, or whatever. It probably was something in the area of livestock in those days. Uh, it wasn't maybe somebody managing a portfolio. But here's what you see. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So somebody had seen something going on and made it uh, where this man was, was you know, was 
was deviant. He was, uh, he was, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, deceptive maybe or, or, or whatever in his life. And he's, and he's not being a faithful manager of his boss's possessions. And so in verse two, it says, so he called him this, this wealthy man calls him in and says, uh, what is this I hear about you? Give an account. Okay. So, uh, go out and, and you get the books, bring in the books, show me what you're done because you cannot be a manager any longer. So he didn't fire him on the spot. He said, go get the books. He said, go get the information that, that is, is, is being uh, brought against you and, 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 and bring it. It's just a done deal. You've, you know, you've, you've, you've been selling me short my estate, et cetera, bring, uh, bring it in and let's take a look at it. So this man seems to be having some time here. And so in verse three, it says, the manager said, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Sounds like he didn't have much else that he could do in life. Uh, he was really good at managing somebody else's estate, managing somebody else's wealth, managing somebody else's property or or, or livestock, but he wasn't good at much else. He wasn't good at digging ditches. And boy, if this guy takes him to court, he might be in one of those prison uh, uh, roadside gangs digging ditches. We don't know. But he's saying, I need right now, uh, I've got a, a period of time where I've got to come up with a solution because you've seen those hourglasses. The sand is almost run out uh, and there's um, time is ticking. I'm in the 11th hour right now, and I need a solution. So uh, verse 4 says, I know what I'll do, this man says. When I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he's, he's concocting a plan. And what he does is he goes to the debtors. And so he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, you know, how much do you owe my master? All right. Not how much do you owe me or he's not saying, hey, let's get together and we'll, um, I, I, this has been long overdue. Let's just go have lunch. I'll buy. Uh, but he's got a plan. All right. He's got a plan in mind here, but it's not really going to cost him anything. Look at what he does. This manager says, first, the first debtor says, well, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. He replied, the manager uh, told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, right? Because he sees the clock is running out. He's got to move quickly. He's trying to salvage his future here and, and, and make it 450 gallons. So he's giving, man, he's giving this debt forgiveness. <laughs> this is funny, isn't it? To, to, uh, to these guys who, for money that he doesn't even own, he's just managing it. And he's starting to give grace to these people so that he has a future that's not digging ditches or begging on a street corner. This is deceptive stuff, isn't it? This is criminal activity, isn't it? This is Jesus telling us a story this morning. All right? Look at the next guy. They said to the second guy, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he said. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So he gives him, what is that, a 20% discount right there? Man, this guy's really free with discount. Why not? It's not my money. I'm out on my ear in a moment. You know, I'm, uh, time's almost up, but go ahead. I bless you. Well, this is what's interesting. In verse 8, the master 
Master brings them in. There's probably more debtors as well, or, you know, people that were indebted. And, and, but these two are listening. The master commended this manager, uh, this dishonest manager, Jesus says, because he had acted shrewdly. Now, wait, this, isn't that crazy when you think of him? Because we know Jesus is righteous and, and, and just, and he's holy because he's God and, and, and all this. But he's giving a picture here to that audience, that first audience, and to our audience as well, that in this story, the master said, wow, even though you just gave away, you know, 50% and 20% of my, you know, of my earnings uh, and what was owed me, that's pretty interesting. You're pretty, pretty shrewd. You're a, you're a wheeler dealer. <laughs> and so, uh, and then he, he goes on to say this, and I just, I, I want you to see it this morning. Uh, in the, the other part of verse eight, and because Jesus then, and in fact, uh, I think what's interesting about that, that, that beginning there, verse eight is, uh, the manager was commended for taking full advantage of the limited time and opportunity that he had. He, had, he was out of time, and he is out of opportunity to make things right. He was being fired. He was, he was going to bring in the results, bring in the books of what, and then, it was, then he was going to be released. And, and this master commends him for taking advantage of the little bit of time and opportunity that he had. And then Jesus steps out of the parable in this, the other part of verse 8 here. He steps away from the parable, and he begins to speak to the audience, and he's speaking to us this morning as well. For the people of the world... Let me pause for a second. The people of the world are the people outside of the kingdom. And those of us who've walked in the kingdom, some of us are just, just starting to follow Jesus. Some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. We realize there's principles, there's guidelines, there's amazing truths, there's abounding love. Uh, we get to understand the heart of God and the love of God and, 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 his, and godly principles. And the world represents, in this case, all those outside of the growing Beautiful revelation of God and his love through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit and how he's working in the lives of those who follow him, okay? For the people of the world, they're the ones that said, man, we've got 60, 70, 80, and we are done. You know, take what we can, you know, fill up every, you know, I'm going to die with, you know, with white knuckles and holding on to whatever. I'm giving life all I can. That's, that's those outside of the understanding, the revelation that, that Jesus just pours into our hearts throughout his life. For the people of this world, are more shrewd, there's another word for that there too, uh, more thoughtful, more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the people of the light. Who are the people of the light? That first audience would have been those who were Jewish followers, those who drew up, grew up understanding the, the Ten Commandments, the law, the prophets, those who understood Moses. That, that's what the audience that Jesus was speaking to, of course, that was going to all be blown wide open in just a matter of weeks, months, years as, as, as the gospel began to penetrate that part of the world. But that's, and by the way, those in the light are speaking to us today because now we understand the light this side of, of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus' application, here it is. For people of this world are more shrewd and more thoughtful. People who live this, uh, this life with the understanding of what you see is, is what you get. And people of the light, again, you see exactly who they are. And that's us today. And Jesus, then he gives this command in verse 9. He says, 
I tell you, use worldly wealth and gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, there again, there's this, there's this, now he's not speaking of a parable right now, but he's talking about a timetable. And uh, we live in a life, and whether we live to be 89 years old, like Pat Schultz, who passed away, or we grieved with Rose and her family yesterday, as her mother, I think, was 83 years old, and she passed away. Beautiful mother. We were able to visit and be a part of the visitation and some at the funeral. And, and you know, 80 is a wonderful life. 90 is amazing, a miracle. 70 can be a beautiful life. We don't know how long we're going to live or how long we're going to, uh, uh, you know, be a part of, 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 of this temporal world. Um, when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So now if you're kind of new to the faith or outside the faith, you may be just somebody who you're not sure about Christ. Um, what we believe and when I say we, we're talking 2,000 years of Christian faith and doctrine is that there's something beyond that last breath. Uh, there's something beyond um, the mystery of death. In fact, Jesus said to be, uh, the Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And that Jesus, and you say, well, that's, you know, there's a lot of different religions that believe in maybe uh, the eternal or some kind of afterlife the last I checked, Jesus was the only one who can claim to be God who died and then overcame death. And he said, I'm the first, I'm the first part of the harvest and the rest will come at a time in history, at a point. And, and, and then eternity will begin when this time is up. So we believe as Christ follows. So when we hear this, most of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we get excited about this. But if you're not, that's, that's okay. Uh, and, you know, and we're not saying you have to believe that, but I'm just understand that what Jesus is teaching is what we believe to be true and which gives us some great comfort that we can use wealth and resources uh, for the purpose of, of gaining friends. I like that. Uh, to gain friends for ourselves, to be a blessing to our neighbors, to be a blessing to our families, to be a blessing to our community, to be a blessing to the world. And then when time is up and when time is gone because there's a, there's a time clock on all of our lives and then eternity, Jesus is saying there's going to be a welcoming into eternity. So according to Jesus, money is a means. It's not the end, but it's what we use between now and the end, which isn't the last breath in Jesus Christ. That's just the beginning. Death is a door. <laughs> uh, and it's a mystery because none of us here today have died but we grieve for those who have passed on, but we hope, you know, you know, I love what the apostle says. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. So maybe our grieving is a little easier. I don't know if it's shorter. We get through the season of grief and it's filled with hope every morning, every day we have a fresh, Jesus died and he rose and he said, we too shall live. He said, he told Mary and Martha just before he, he rose dead, he raised dead Lazarus from the, from the tomb. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you're going to live. You know, all will live. Even if we die, we'll live. And that's, that's the beauty of the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. So, um, Money is that means, and, and look at this, look at this verse here. I, I thought of this in chapter 12 of Luke. Sell your possessions, Jesus says. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. I don't have one of those purses, but it must be a pretty valuable, 
because we're, you know, we're worried that moth or, or, or would destroy it or whatever, but a treasure in heaven that will never fail uh, where no thief comes near or moth destroys. I guess, again, that would be the purse. Maybe we know, we know maybe rust could mess with fine uh, metals or something like that. But look at this for where your treasure is there. Your heart is also, that's where your heart's going to be where your heart is. You can probably track the treasure and Jesus is, is about building a kingdom and he's about asking for not money, but hearts. And cause he knows that when he has our hearts and when our hearts are fully committed to him. And when we just, when we love the Lord that again, money's going to kind of follow behind us and it's going to be a tool that we use. It's not going to be our, our, our slave or I should say a master, but it's going to be something that serves us. So, uh, there's joy in, uh, in, in, in this type of a life, when we kind of catch this glimpse and we understand that earthly treasure is a means to an eternal investment. Uh, you never think that way, do you? A heavenly 401k or something like that. But what we, what we give here, what we, in our, and not just resources, but in all that we are, that literally we're, we're storing up uh, for some, something in eternity. Um, uh, so here's a statement. How can you and I leverage more what we have as a means to an end that's not us. I said it more personal there, but how, how can we leverage more of what we have as a means to an end that's not us? If, if I'm not at the end, if who I am or how, 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 uh, how, how big I've become or how wealthy I am, how many toys I have is not the goal. And, and what I'm using wealth for is to be a blessing to others, to, to sow my energy into the life of, of, of neighbors and, and the, the kingdom and my family, of course. Um, that's what this is saying. And, the, and that's what this question is asking. And when we, when we wrestle with that, that's where I think joy is, is, is really found in our lives. Uh, you, you, you need to think about this. It's better to err on the side of generosity than the opposite of that, that stingy, tight-fisted thing. It's, it's better to err on the side of generosity. Debbie and I built into our marriage 33, 34 years ago, and I married, I'm so thankful for this, I married someone who just had a revelation of, of just open-handedness. And we just, you know, I don't know about you, but I think the older we get, maybe you don't have to think about this when you're a teenager, but you're going to get to a point maybe after college, uh, maybe in college where Dave Ramsey is going to become your hero and you're going to set up a, a, a budget that's going to help you function in, in life. And at the top of our budget, since the day we said I do to each other has been a, a portion, just a tithe, the 10% of everything we collectively make right back into the church that we're feeding at, right back into the church that's feeding the hearts of our community, that's caring for the lives and that's, uh, that's caring and the light in, in the neighborhood. It, when we got married, it was a kind of a, a rundown neighborhood in South Dallas. And we sowed our resources into that. And we moved up here for 30 years and it's a delight. We just, it just comes out. We like to write, we're old fashioned. We like to write checks, you know, and that's just part of it. But that's not the end of it. There's all all kinds of opportunities that we've, we've discovered through the years where we can just give over and above just what we see as a biblical um, um, invitation to partner with the Lord because it's all his, which we'll see here in just a second. And I just, I'm so thankful for Debbie and just, uh, I can't imagine if she didn't think the way 
that I thought, or if I didn't think the way she thought, but we're just always challenging each other, and, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful gift. Uh, I, all right. We've talked about, you know, when you have family and all the things that you can, you can, you can store up, all the things that grow up in the spaces that are for storage. And I was walking through the basement the other day, and we, I've got my daughter's things, and I think Bethy emptied her closet the other day right in this area, so I can hardly walk through. I was changing light bulbs, and I was thinking, you know what? Uh, this just happens, and this is maybe that message at the beginning of the year because it's, it's for us. Debbie and I have talked about this. We invite the girls over one day and their husbands and their significant other, and uh, we are going to maybe set out some tables. We're just going to give some of that stuff to them, but I doubt they'll take it home. I think most of us will probably take it and take our stuff and turn it into a story. <laughs> There's, we have so much stuff, and stuff, I remember having the job years ago. We got a small dumpster up where my folks lived because my grandfather had passed away, and then my grandmother passed away, and there was just a dumpster, and I had the responsibility. I was removed by a generation of taking the stuff from my grandfather's life and determining whether anybody would ever want it. And a lot of it just went right in the dumpster because it was, it made no, no sense for my parents' generation or for me. But I wonder if some of that stuff, I mean, grandpa's trophies for selling inspirational books at a side job, you know, I don't think anybody would want the trophy. But I'm wondering about some of that stuff, if instead of storing that stuff, if that could have been turned into a story 50 years ago. Somebody might have needed a book that encouraged and strengthened his life instead of, now some of that stuff we obviously sent to bookstores or thank God for goodwill and, and these places to recycle and give. But uh, all kinds of things that we take and we go and we store and it's just going to be there next year and the following year, three years, 10 years down the road. What if we took our stuff this year and turned it into a story? Maybe we found someone in our community, someone in our circle of, of relationships, maybe someone here in the church, a neighbor, a family member. And we took our stuff and we turned it into a store and we gave it to him. and said, here's something. I hope this blesses you not have to be worth something. But pray about that. Go through your stuff in 2020. It's the beginning of a new day, de decade. And pray over your stuff. And say, I'm wondering if this won't, if I sow this. Because you know what? A seed is only a seed, and, but its value is limited. It's just going to dry up and die unless you get it in soil. And there's soil for our stuff that God has created, I believe. And now I think would be a great season to look at that and say, who needs this cute little outfit my 30-year-old daughter does not fit in that. Now, now, when you get into grandparenting, you think, well, but my grandchild may fit. Now, we have to be respectful of that, all right? But think of the, those things. There's some things that could be a blessing right now to somebody in our world. And you say, well, I just don't know enough people. Pray and watch the Holy Spirit connect you to somebody who needs your stuff. And then your stuff becomes a story. See, when I die someday... If you're around, you're not going to talk about my stuff, but I hope you talk about my stories. I hope, I pray that there will be stories of where my life, our life, Debbie and I, as we've, we've 
been just privileged to, to serve this congregation for years, where we've touched you, where we've encouraged you, where we've, we've sown into you of our time and our treasure and our talents, right? All right, so... Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? Who owns it all? Just kind of wrap it up. I invite the worship team to come back, uh, back up if they would, please. So look at Jesus says this. So if you have a, if, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now this, this could be unpacked and I'm just going to move over it as we conclude here. I want you to see this one point here. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, Jesus, again, this is Jesus speaking about possessions, about, and he's saying someone else's property. And if you just go to Genesis 1, 2, 3, I don't care what you believe on how it happened. I hope as a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe who made it happen. In the beginning, God created and then he created man in his image. And then he gave man a responsibility of his creation. I didn't create this world. I didn't create this space I'm in. I didn't create the universe. I am simply, as a, hum a human being, I've been placed on a planet to steward and to manage what a creator gave to us to manage. So he's the owner of everything. And as followers of Jesus Christ, that's what we get to believe. That's what Jesus is telling us to believe. Someone else's property is what all of the first followers of Jesus and all of the culture of that day, those following the words of, of Abraham, Moses, uh, the, the great prophets, is that God was the creator, is the creator and sustainer of all things. And we... We get to manage. We've been, and we get to, man, he gives us so much to manage. He gives us so much to care for. And we enjoy his creation. But he's the owner. We are not. And that's what Jesus is saying. We're managers, not owners. And we get all this stuff, well, it gets left behind for next generation, for the next generation. Our money's talking this morning. Do you hear it? Here's what's saying. I'm a means, not an end. I'm a tool to be used in your hands. And sometimes a test. A lot of faith. We won't talk about that this morning. But wow. It's, you know, a lot of faith sometimes to pull out that wallet when you sense the Holy Spirit giving you and leading you. I can add meaning to your life, money's telling us, but I'm not the meaning of your life. Let's stand together and just sing this song and prayer will be available at the closing if you should, if you should need that. I, I like the last verse here. Uh, I just want you to see as you just jump back there. Look at this, verse 14. The Pharisees are always listening to Jesus, always scrutinizing, always calling him into account, always trying to trick him. And the Pharisees are listening to this parable and this teaching. And, that, and it says the person who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Man, I don't want to be I don't want to be that person as the Holy Spirit begins to 
remind me and unveil what this thing about the kingdom is and and stewardship and how money wants to to speak to us and be used through us to be our 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 tool i don't want to be the one holding with white knuckles and my teeth you know gritting and sneering no i want to be pliable in the hands of the potter amen 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 let's sing this song of worship and then we'll conclude Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridgeway.church.